Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, May the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, OTA session number one is a wrap. We'll get you caught up on all the latest, including a bunch of roster moves. We'll talk about Nate Orchard's fit on the roster, as well as his film study project. We'll jump back into the Twitter mailbag, and the Josh Rosen charting project is complete. A word on that ahead of our massive scouting report episode coming out here in the very near future. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, however you get your shows, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfulNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And the show is at Lockdown Fins. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And I talked about TV shows on yesterday's podcast. I don't have any Game of Thrones updates for you guys, but the recommendation I do have is to check out HBO's Chernobyl. I think there's two episodes out of a four-part miniseries, fantastically written, fantastically shot, and really, really well acted on top of all of that. I promise you guys will like that show if you're into good television. And with that, let's go ahead and jump in to our first topic. That's the wrong sound drop, but we're going to roll with it. It's first down here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast as introduced by Jim Mandich. But nonetheless, we move on and talk about some busy activity on Thursday afternoon for the Miami Dolphins, making plenty of roster moves, six comings and goings on the roster. And up first, the Dolphins moved on from 2017 fifth round draft pick Isaac Asiata, the guard out of Utah. And he was really a fan favorite for most Dolphins fans. And I think part of that was one... When he got it right on tape in college, it was absolutely picture perfect. When the technique was right, he would bowl guys over. And I think the face paint probably had something to do with it. Those guys from the Samoan Islands and out there in the Pacific Islands, they tend to come with a certain mentality, and it's hard not to get pulled into that. But all things considered, Asiata really struggled with technique. He was always out of position. He almost got quarterbacks killed in the preseason with his poor pass protection and inability to find stunts and games and that type of thing. So I think this move was a long time coming, especially when you consider that he couldn't get on the field the last couple of years with how bad the offensive line depth was at times during the season. So Asiata is an injured, waived player on Thursday. He is gone. Also gone, fellow offensive lineman Kirk Barron. I'm a little bit bummed out. I thought his tape was pretty good at Purdue. I thought he had a chance to make the roster, but clearly he doesn't even get to training camp. I'm sure he'll have his number on speed dial for the Dolphins to call him back if something is to happen, but it's not a good outlook for him that he can't crack the top 90 right now. Probably not going to make the 53 in September if that's the case, if they do call him back. The guys that were replacing Isaac Asiata and Kirk Barron, 
They are players that really more fit the mold of what the Dolphins want as they clearly have a type. We'll get to that here in a second. Number one is Tony Adams. He was on the Patriots practice squad for five games last year, undrafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars out of North Carolina State in 2018. He set the record for snaps on NC State's offensive line with 3,358. That comes via the Miami Dolphins main website. He's a big bruising dude, a bowling ball mauling type of guard, and he wins with that initial punch and the ability to drop the anchor on the pass rush. Blitzers often bounce off of him in what is a pretty comical fashion at times. If you watch his college tape, it looks like peewee players running into a grown man. And now that always comes, of course, with the plotting downside. He looks like he's in quicksand at times. He doesn't change directions well at all. Can get out over his skis on those inside moves and stunts and other games. He's often on the ground and that is not a good trait for an offensive lineman. Kyle Fuller, the other addition replacing Barron and Asiata, a two-year veteran on the offensive line in the NFL, a seventh-round draft pick from the Houston Texans by way of Baylor. He was with Washington last season. He has 11 games under his belt, two career starts on the NFL resume. He started 39 consecutive games at college at Baylor. He's got an excellent, excellent length at 34-inch arms, a strong initial punch once again, and also a sturdy anchor. But of course, that comes with the yin to the yang. He has below average athleticism. He struggles on combo blocks just like Adams does and does not change directions very well either. Adams is 6'2", 315 pounds. Fuller is 6'5", tall for a guard, 310 pounds. So two new offensive guards for offensive line coach Pat Flaherty to get his hands on. And I think it's pretty clear that they are keen, and they being the Miami Dolphins, are keen on drafting these body-beautiful dudes that have length and size and power in hopes of turning them into technicians down the road. They are believers in their own coaching and their own teaching. And I like that confidence in the coaching staff to keep turning these guys out because if you have five or six of them that look like this and you're a great coach, you're a great teacher, chances are you can find one that sticks to at least give you some depth Maybe you even uncover a gem and a starter on your offensive line. They definitely have a type. They clearly value toughness, competitiveness, and durability because those three things make up for these start streaks. And Michael Dieter from Wisconsin had 53 consecutive starts. Kyle Fuller, the same story. And Tony Adams basically never missed a snap at North Carolina State. So the prototype is clear. I like the new shift of direction on the offensive line. No more of these kind of underwhelming injury-prone guys that have elite athleticism but can't do much versus power. So that's the new type on the offensive line. Other news, receiver signed back in April, I believe it was. Ricardo Lewis, the Miami native, was added to injured reserve on Thursday. So he is now off the official 90-man roster. And that gives the Dolphins 40 players on offense, 46 on defense, and five on special teams. And going by position, three quarterbacks, seven running backs, six tight ends, nine receivers, 15 offensive linemen, 14 defensive linemen, 14 linebackers, 14 cornerbacks, four safeties, and five specialists on the roster. And of course, recall, that's 91 players total, but Derval Neto, the Brazilian international pathway player, has roster exemption as he can go on the practice squad as Miami's 11th practice squad man, which of course is one more than the normal allotment of 10 practice squad players. All right, the Dolphins made one more move on Thursday. We're going to come back and talk about Nate Orchard and finish up yesterday's mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
talked about the numbers on both defense and offense in the first segment. The Dolphins now have 28 players committed to the front seven on this roster, making up about a third of the total roster at just two position groups there on the linebackers and defensive linemen. But it makes sense because they need to find someone. They need to curate some talent out of that group because right now, Those spots are pretty much lacking beyond a few frontline names, and the Dolphins have to find some rotational help, but also guys that can find a niche role in this defense because there are plenty of those roles to be carved out on this defense as you go back to the Patriots once again. And if you're sick of hearing that, you're going to have to deal with it because this Patriots defense is going to have a huge influence on this Miami Dolphins defense under Brian Flores. And they had several players that would play 30 or 40 or 50% of the defensive snaps, you have multiple fronts, multiple looks, multiple different packages, whether it's the 2-2, the 2-3, the 3-3, 4-2, their front alignments are going to be very, very fluid and very versatile. And that calls for either a lot of bodies or a lot of players that are versatile. And the truth is, you're not going to find more than a couple of guys on a roster that can play in the mold of Christian Wilkins, where he can play seven technique, five technique, three technique, and come all the way in and play straight up over the nose tackle. Those guys don't grow on trees. Those are the guys you have to spend the 13th pick in the draft on, or guys you have to spend $17 million per year in free agency on, like the Lions did with Trey Flowers. So the Dolphins got to find some production out of guys like Nate Orchard, who just got signed, out of guys like J. Ron Elliott, out of Andrew Van Ginkle, out of Tank Carradine, Charles Harris. These players have to step up and find roles on this defense. If they don't, they'll be replaced next year as the Dolphins have kind of proven they're going to overturn this roster, the bottom part of the roster at least, until they find guys that can stick. And the newest attempt at that is former Cleveland Brown, former Buffalo Bill, former Kansas City Chief, and former Seattle Seahawk, although he did not play a snap for the Seahawks and played just one defensive snap for the Kansas City Chiefs last season, Nate Orchard. And if you guys recall Nate Orchard from Hard Knocks, that's probably where you first heard his name. You'll remember he was famously cut after having that giant pick six in the season or the preseason finale in the week four game. They still cut him from the 2018 roster. I thought he probably should have made that team coming out of training camp. But of course, Hugh Jackson is known to make the wrong decision at just about every single turn, as he did here on Nate Orchard. But then again, Nate comes back in 2018 and only played four games and only played 36 total snaps. He came out of Utah, a pass rush specialist, which I thought was strange because you watch his tape and that's not who he was last year or even in 2017 with the Cleveland Browns on tape. Out of Utah, he had 18 and a half sacks his senior year. That's a crazy amount of production at his position, but I see him on tape as more of a run defender and a guy that can really cross the face inside of tight ends and offensive tackles with a quick interior move, but also the ability to throw out that strong initial punch and dictate the play, dictate the rep because of his hand placement and disengage and get in there and make a tackle. Whether he's chasing down the backside, whether he's holding up the front side and setting the edge, he does have a very strong and sturdy base in which he can disengage from and make plays that way. So I think there is a role for him in this defense, both possibly as a four-point stance or three-point stance, rather, defensive lineman down in four-man fronts, even fronts, or at a strong side, outside linebacker in those three-man fronts coming down and supporting the run game that way as well. I just don't expect him to line up off the edge and blow by tackles with quickness because it just doesn't show up on the NFL tape. He's really more of a kind of 
pick up the slop and get cleanup sacks or get sacks against unblocked pressures or blown protection assignments. There just isn't a lot there as a pass rusher is what I'm saying. And it kind of coincides with his pro football focus numbers because in 2017, Orchard played 431 defensive snaps for the Browns and 63 snaps on kick return. But on those 431 snaps, he had 16 pressures, two hits or two sacks, four hits, 10 hurries, and that came on 233 rush snaps, which gives him about a 7% pass rush productivity figure, which is not very high in today's NFL. And he also had 12 run stops. Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage. That's a more impressive 6.4% figure rate, which obviously is a different number compared to the pass rush productivity. So he's more of a run defender, a potential linebacker slash defensive end guy in this defense as the Dolphins have plenty of them, just as they have plenty of guys that kind of have the same mold on the offensive line. There's clearly a prototype for the guys they want, the ability to two gap, to play different roles, and to have a certain niche in the defense if they can't play multiple roles. And real quick, before we get back into the Twitter mailbag, somebody asked me on Twitter today about the difference between two-gapping and one-gapping and how Christian Wilkins figures into that defense because Christian Wilkins, his game is all about quickness and beating guys across their face with the one-gap penetrating style. The truth is the Dolphins, like I said earlier, are going to have multiple roles on this defense and the different fronts, the different schemes, the different game plans for different offenses is going to free them up to have flexibility and fluidity that way. So Christian Wilkins will definitely have a role in that way. But I also believe that Christian Wilkins can learn how to be more of a two-gapper and a strong, sturdy base anchor because I just think that he can do pretty much anything he wants. He's that special. He's that pliable. He's that strong. And he's that driven to make that happen. Okay, let's move back into the Twitter mailbag here. As I said earlier on the podcast this week, I keep on putting out the mailbag and you guys give me about 29, 30 questions every single week and I can't get to them all. So let's go ahead and jump back in and get to a few more questions here on the Friday podcast. This one comes in from Charlie Burkhouse. He is at C Burkhouse on Twitter. What do you think the ceiling is for Mike Gesicki? Can he become a 10 touchdown per year flex tight end? I think ideally that's what he becomes. And we saw some of that talent both at college as well as in training camp and the preseason last year. I forget which game it was in the preseason, but they threw him a fade route in the corner of the end zone. And he almost made like a leaping one-handed catch, but it just came down out of bounds. But I think he does have some value in that regard. I think he just lost a lot of confidence last year, especially when they kept lining him up in line and he would get beaten around the inside portion of the football field where he doesn't belong. You want to get him out on the perimeter, not making him fight his way through traffic and maintain that contact balance, which is not his game. So I think if you properly utilize him, you can make him effective. As far as his ceiling and stats, I yeah, I could see him being a 10 touchdown guy in the future, but you have to, you're going to have to really pigeonhole what he does because there's few things he does well a lot of things he doesn't do well just don't ask him to do the things he doesn't do well and maybe you'll get a good player out of it next question comes from run he is at slow runner on twitter you said you didn't have specific numbers that would prove to you that rosen is the quarterback going forward what exactly are you looking for and how do you think rosen will compare to his draft class peers i think i made mentioned three things does he elevate the play of his teammates are we going to get better production out of the offensive line out of albert wilson jakeem grant and kenny stills number two will he develop a relationship with chad o'shea and the offensive staff and the play caller and have a bunch of trust from that play caller as they see fit with a quarterback capable of handling a heavy workload and number three does he improve throughout the course of the season you're going to have to have a gradual incline to prove to me that he's an ascending player at 22 years old 
Otherwise, I think you have to go back into the 2020 draft class, the loaded QB class with intentions of taking a quarterback in that first round. So relationship with the play caller, elevating the play of his teammates and gradual progression throughout the course of the season. Next question comes from Austin Bullock. He is at a Bullock 17. Drake brings insert your take here to the Dolphins offense. Balaj brings insert your take here to the Dolphins offense and who emerges as the better back. Kenyon Drake brings speed, playmaking ability, a pass catching threat, and a guy that I thought was pretty good in pass protection, but he had a rough year at that trait last year. But I think he's just a really good outside runner. He does have a lot more size and strength than people imagine that he does because of that speed. But I think he's just a versatile three down back with immense talent. And Kalen Balaj, frankly, kind of the same thing. But Balaj, what both those guys lack, I think, is the quick initial vision when the hole opens up at first or the patience to let the play develop because Kenyon Drake tends to bounce things. And that was the same knock on Balaj at Arizona State. I do think that Kenyon Drake is ultimately the better back, but I think both guys have a lot of talent in all three phases of the game. Next question comes in from Kevin Garrard. He is at Kevin Garrard 13. Kevin, I hope I pronounced that correctly. If Miami is going to keep five to six running backs and three to four tight ends, which positions will keep fewer players than we are used to? And the point for that question is that that's more players than normal at those groups. So you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere else. I think quarterback's a good spot to look at. I don't see the point or the, the need to have anyone besides Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen on the roster. I do think the Dolphins are going to have like 13 or 14 defensive backs on the roster and they're going to be more defensive heavy. I think if you go that direction, the position you sacrifice is probably a wide receiver because if you're going to have more backs and tight ends on the field, you don't need as many receivers. So guys from the passing game, quarterback and receiver are the two spots you can probably sacrifice there. Okay, let's go ahead and take our last break on this Friday, May the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to come back and get to more of these mailbag questions, as well as a little note on Josh Rosen as the charting project is now finished. We'll do that next. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Almost weekend time here on the May the 17th edition, the Friday edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. And that means we have more mailbag questions to get into. Let's go ahead and do that. And this one comes in from El Cid Ciento 33. He is at skip underscore 1951. Why does it seem like they do not want to move Jesse Davis to right tackle? How do you feel about this? Well, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I think he's a better right tackle than he is a guard because he has better length. And that's something they're looking for. And I think he also operates better in space than he does in a phone booth, which is obviously more suited to play on the outside. As far as why they don't want to look at him out there, they probably value him at the guard position because he played 16 games last year. And that was a rarity on this Dolphins offensive line. I don't think that they're going to necessarily pigeonhole him there yet. But if they do it in training camp, I that probably would be a reason to be concerned about him being stuck at the guard position. But honestly, I'm probably going to trust this coaching staff first before I start second guessing them. We've had coaching staffs in the past that made poor decisions, but I'll give these guys the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. Next question here comes from Kyle Bartfay at Kyle Bartfay on Twitter. Easy enough. Would you rather have Josh Rosen now or Ryan Tannehill during his prime with this new coaching staff? That is a loaded question that I will only serve to piss people off on the podcast here. But I'll take Ryan Tannehill because I always thought he was more talented as a player. The athleticism, the arm strength, 
And after watching all this Rosen tape and how inaccurate he is to the short portions of the field, Tannehill never missed those layups, but you obviously have the other side of the coin where Rosen moves around the pocket a little bit better, better to recognize those things, better at keeping his eyes up, and also better in terms of the way he reads defenses and processes things, and better on third down. So you do have that going for him, which sounds like the better traits but I think Ryan Tannehill at his prime, if he wouldn't have had that horrible 2013 offseason where they put a bunch of bums around him on the offensive line and at wide receiver, and if he would have had a chance to grow and develop in a good offensive scheme rather than Joe Philbin and Mike Sherman and whatever it was before Adam Gaze got here, then I think he would have had a better chance to succeed in his career. And Josh Rosen, I just, from what I've seen at college, what I've seen at Arizona, I just don't really believe in his ability going forward. I'm hopeful, but I don't have a really strong feeling about him being the answer long-term. Next question here comes from Abel D. He is at Rotomus Bowtie on Twitter. Rivalries aside, you ever just feel bad for a team in our division and their decisions? No, not at all, especially not the Jets. I don't know what the reason is. I think it was the Rex Ryan era, but I just arbor this really special place of hatred in my heart for the New York Jets. So every time they do something like they continually do that's stupid, I get a kick out of it. I love it. The Patriots, of course, I never feel bad for them. The Bills would be the one, but even then, like, fuck them. I don't care. I don't want to see the AFC East succeed. If I had it my way, it would be the Dolphins 16-0, Bills, Patriots, and Jets 2-14 and splitting games against one another for the rest of eternity. So no, no sympathy at all for the rest of the AFC East. And let's go ahead and do a couple more here. Chris J. Fgrave at CJ Fgrave on Twitter. What's our best case O-line ranking? How do we stack up against the rest of the NFL? One through 32 realistically in 2019. I think best case scenario, you try to crack the top 20. And that would be because the scheme and the circumstances of the offense allowed you to call more running plays and allow this offensive line to just be run blockers and not put them in tough situations as pass blockers frequently time in and time out. And I think that best case scenario could be like the 20th best offensive line. More realistically, it's probably going to be more towards the bottom end of the 20s, like 28, 29, maybe even into the 30s. I do think Laramie Tunzel gives you an advantage over other teams that don't have a star on the offensive line. But right now, we really only have one starter that we know about, so it's probably not going to be great for the offensive line. Next one here comes from Justin Holcomb. This is the last question of the day. If I didn't get to your question, I apologize. Please bug me on Twitter if I didn't get to it. But this one from Justin Holcomb. He is at Finsider Hulk. Gun to your head. You have to become... This is a great question based upon the question... What was it? Two questions ago. Gun to your head. You have to become a fan of the Bills, Jets, or Patriots and throw your Dolphins fandom away forever or die. Who do you choose? Load that gun, baby. I don't want to live in a world where I have to root for those teams. So yeah, let's just go ahead. I'll go ahead and just walk out into the Pacific Ocean and call it a life at that point. No thanks on being a Bills, Jets, or Pats fan. Fins for life. And with that, let's go ahead and close up the mailbag. And I want to make one more mention here of the Josh Rosen charting project. We're going to have that entire thing up on Sunday evening, right around the primetime schedule before the Game of Thrones finale, which I won't talk about because I haven't seen an episode. But Josh Rosen, you can check that out before the Game of Thrones finale, in between the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs, whatever you have going on on your Sunday. Weeks 11 through 17, the entire charting project. And then sometime next week, probably around Wednesday or so, I'll have the entire scouting report with the cumulative numbers from the entire season on Josh Rosen. So don't miss that. It's going to be the most extensive, most comprehensive, most knowledgeable post or or 
data out in the universe you'll find on Josh Rosen's rookie season up on LockdownDolphins.com on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, all part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time for today. As always, if you guys have a smart speaker in your car or otherwise, you can pull the Lockdown Dolphins podcast right away. Just say play Lockdown Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again Sunday night for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. 